University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. I'm sure you can relate, whether it be with books or TV shows or movies or, or hobbies that you'd like to get to. I find our world has, has way too much to offer. There's way too much content. There's not enough time in our life to read all the books, to see all the shows and all the movies, to get to the things that we want to do. And I wish sometimes, I don't know about you, that I could be done with wanting to learn and know and experience more. The Christian calendar offers us 40 days in which we're called to be done with certain things. It's called Lent. And typically most people over a 40-day period will give up something to draw closer to God. And while giving up things in a short period of time is meaningful for our spiritual formation, what's fascinating is that Jesus' invitation is to something much more radical. Jesus has a phrase that appears throughout the Gospels in which he says to give up your life in order to save it. What does that mean? What does Jesus mean by all this? As we've been working our way through this series done, why giving up our life saves it. And this week, we find in our text, John chapter 1, or John chapter 11, verse 1. It reads, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one that poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. So before we get to the implications of this text, we need to stop and take a, a rare glimpse into the personal life of Jesus. When you stop and think about it, most of the time we read the Gospels, it's when Jesus is preaching or teaching or healing or performing miracles, having a heated dialogue with the self-righteous religious people, then we see the many accounts of his arrest, his torture, and his execution. But here we get a chance to see a personal interaction with Jesus' friends. And as the story unfolds, we'll learn that Lazarus, along with his two sisters, are dear friends of Jesus. This is Mary and Martha, the two that hosted Jesus in that famous story in which one is bickering over the other, not helping, but simply sitting at the feet of Jesus. As Luke said, this is the Mary that, as John says, this is the Luke, uh, this is the Mary that cleaned Jesus' feet with her tears and hair. The sisters report to Jesus that the one you love is sick. The word year, used here is philos. It means brotherly love. It's where we get the name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So Jesus loved Lazarus like he was one of his own brothers. But this is what's so strange about the passage. If these were really Jesus' friends, the people he cares deeply for, why upon hearing the news that Lazarus is gravely ill, that Jesus decides to stay exactly where he is for two more days? John reports this particular decision in verse 6. What was Jesus doing 
that was so important that he couldn't leave immediately to go heal Lazarus, his friend. That's like a brother to him. What was he so busy with that he couldn't drop to perform a miracle like he'd done for so many others countless times? I think many of us officially can say that we can relate to Jesus in this moment. We might not be able to relate to being born uh, by a virgin or the ability to turn water into wine, though that'd be a pretty cool party trick for us to pull off. We can say that we are busy like Jesus. As Professor Hinkle from Frosty the Snowman would say, busy, 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 busy. We live in the busiest culture that's ever walked the face of the earth. According to a recent study, the average full-time working American uses 130% of their waking hours. Obviously, what they're keeping in mind is our ability to multitask. And if you really stop and think about our day, it's not difficult to add up all the tasks and projects and appointments and consumption that just fills our waking hours. Our schedules are booked. We're always in a rush. There's always an email to check, always one more text to reply to, You find there's always one more problem to solve or one more fire to put out. There's always another article to read, another show to watch, another app to open. And while we pick up this one thing and then quickly put it down just to pick up another thing, there's always the option of juggling and multitasking things at the same time. There is no time to stop. We're always on the go, dealing with exhaustion and scattered brains and a sense of ceaselessness of on and on. Research indicates that individuals' perceived level of busyness may be heavily connected to our self-worth, as it is viewed as a high status to be a busy person in our culture today. Individuals who are busy by choice may feel needed or in demand or important, thus elevating that feeling of self-worth. Culturally, there is a shift in the status of perception of material objects and goods no longer is the indicator of our social standings. Now individuals are busy at work or overworked or have a real lack of leisure time, are perceived in a higher status, as one author put it. But most of the year, it is taken as the feeling of overused, uh, humble brag, a self-deprecating yet showy effort to show of how important and valued and desirable we are. The information-drenched 24-7 workplace where time for leisure has become even a scarcer commodity as many professionals have the money to buy luxury goods, but simply not the time to use them. And it's not just work. We love being busy. We love coming home from work just to cook, just to take our kids to their overbooked activities and trends that we've created in their lives, just to come home, just to watch one more show, just to do one more thing. And then we fill up our weekends with home projects and renovations, convincing ourselves that we need it, or we book that trip and go on and we go on and we're busy, 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 busy. Another aspect of busyness is that it numbs us. It keeps us away from the difficult reality outside of our business, whether it's a challenging relationship or difficult home life or strained financial situations or a low sense of self-worth or unhealthy emotional and mental well-being, and, and so much more. As Brene Brown put it, um, about, talks about the numbing behavior as we use to armor against our vulnerability. She wrote, one of the most universal numbing strategies is I call crazy busy. I often say that when, you, when they start having 12-step meetings for busy alcoholics, then you'll need to rent out a football stadium. 
We're a culture of people who have bought into the idea that we stay busy enough, the truth of our lives will never catch up to us. And I'll be the first to admit, that's my entire life. I can remember sitting in grade school, thinking of all the other things I could be doing with my time. When I look back at the last 18 years of vocational ministry as a pastor, I see that all it's filled with is manufacturing new ideas and new programs and new ministries for the church. I quadrupled a youth ministry, started a church from scratch, helped hundreds of people discern a calling, and invested in developing 25 new church starts around the country. My wife's favorite question to ask me at the end of the day is, how was your day? In which I respond with all the things I didn't get done, And then she asked me to to name the things I did get done and reminds me that I actually did quite a lot. After introducing the third major initiative in my first 18 months at UBC, I had a governing board member that said to me in a meeting, Andy, this stuff is wonderful and amazing, but at the end of the day, we're just glad you're here. We're totally fine with you just being our pastor. Can you relate? But at the end of the day, this unique design composition of skin and bones and cells and organs and consciousness and soul are not designed to be so busy. And while our schedules fill up, our work days go longer and longer, the multitasking keeps piling up, there's a physical and emotional and mental toll it takes on our body. Acclaimed cardiologist Meyer Friedman defined this as hurried sickness, saying, above all, A continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events is less, with less and less time, frequently in the face of opposition, real or imagined from other persons. Anxiety and stress, that that feeling of being overwhelmed and frustrated are the beginning. And when we can get things, not get things done, that, that sense of inadequacy and anger and loneliness and incompetence begins to well up within us. And being overly busy and exhausted may lead to increased stress, decrease in self-esteem, which might trigger more challenging mental health disorders, including anxiety disorder and depression and substance use. And it might even trigger our mind that our busyness is to blame when we begin to experience things like muscle tension and pain. Uh, restlessness and insomnia and headaches and inflation and compromised immune function and fatigue and uh, digestive issues and cardiovascular disease. But this is just our body's way of saying that something's going on within us that's not right. And, and beyond the psychological and physiological effects of busyness, verse 17 gives us an insight into something else and how it affects us. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. When Jesus finally makes it to Bethany, what appears to be nearly a week after he had first heard the news and Lazarus had died long enough to be in the grave for four days, he is met by one of the sisters who's in complete anguish and frustration. Busyness doesn't just affect us, but there's a relational cost to it. 
those around us feel the brunt of, no, I can't make that into my schedule, or no, it won't allow me to happen, or let me finish this one thing before I... Often our busyness didn't just cause us to struggle, but it causes us to be disconnected from the communities and relationships that matter to our lives. Ever been so caught up in email and text that you needed to respond to that you don't even hear the people standing right next to you asking you a question? Ever been so caught up in thinking about all the things that you need to do, the problems that you're trying to solve in your head, the next thing that you have coming up, that you don't even interact with the people that are right in front of you? Our busyness doesn't just affect us, but affects others. Eventually, it leads to broken trust and expectations are lowered. Presence is assumed will be absent. People move on. They stop depending on us in the ways that they should in a healthy relationship. And anyone who's not a narcissist, who has an, an ounce of emotional intelligence, knows this, that our busyness will take an emotional toll, leading to a sense of guilt where we feel like we're not being a good partner or friend or spouse or parent or member of a faith community. And busyness affects us in a way that we cannot connect with the world around us. More specifically, it disconnects us from healthy relationships in our community. How often do we miss out on conversations because we're so wrapped up on our phones? How often do we miss a moment of deep friendship because we're so fixated on what we have to do next? How often do we miss out on the opportunity to be present that we miss out on the opportunity to be the presence of Christ right then and there? And if we can't even get our relationships right because of our business, how can we truly be Christ followers in our world in which we're listening to the stories of our neighbors, meeting the needs around us, and being a transformative person in their lives? The answer is we can't. As the great Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard wrote, the unhappy man is always absent from himself, never present to himself. Go back to verse 14. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I, I was glad not to be there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. You know, this is a strange story. It seems so out of the ordinary that Jesus wouldn't act in the ways that he's done in the other Gospels. When he's healed the sick, he's healed the hurting, given the deaf the ability to hear again. So what is Jesus doing? Why, why not act? You know, I've been presenting the story somewhat tongue-in-cheek because you know that Jesus had foresight and wisdom and understanding of what is and was and will happen in this situation. Jesus knew all along that Lazarus was going to die. And he also knew all along that he was going to resurrect him from the dead. And he doesn't passively see all this play out without care or concern, because even in the moment before his resurrection, we, we are given a rare glimpse into Jesus' life, because verse 35 tells us that shortest verse of scripture, Jesus wept. And Jesus didn't shed a tear. Verse 36 says he was so overwhelmed by the grief of all those who were watching that Jesus loved Lazarus so much. And the clue as to what Jesus is trying to do is in verse 15. As he tells the disciples that he did not intentionally go to heal Lazarus, 
so that they may believe. That's peculiar. Why wouldn't he not heal, allow, allowing Lazarus to die just so they would believe? And even in explaining to the disciples they're going to Bethany and they're going to resurrect Lazarus from the dead, verse 14, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going to wake him up. This, the disciples still didn't get it. That's why in verse 16, Thomas says, let's go and let's die with him. And it's like Jesus is right there explaining everything to them, and they still missed it. But how often in our busyness do we not even recognize when God is right here among us? What if the reason behind the delay, the perceived busyness of Jesus, was to teach the very powerful lesson that has not been learned if Jesus had not healed and commanded them? What if Jesus was trying to teach the disciples that in their timing is not God's timing? What if Jesus is trying to teach the sisters that their expectations of how things should go is not always the way that God has in mind? What if Jesus was trying to teach them that they will never see God at work in their lives because they're so caught up in the hustle and bustle of where they think they should go and what they think they should be doing? What if God is right here at work in each of our lives, but we're so stinking busy we can't even see it and understand it and certainly not follow in faith to it. Let's get down to what happens in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. But, look, but then Jesus says in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His fans and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth all around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's one of these curious and fascinating stories within Scripture. They're so overwhelmed with devastation and grief it seems that Jesus is being so apathetic and distant in this situation. And yet Jesus responds with something very simple and intentional and powerful and engaging. Jesus' prayer is the fulfillment of so many of his teachings. From the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For whoever asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. Whoever knocks the door will be opened. To the disciples, in the hours leading up to Jesus' arrest, he said to them, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus, in this moment, is praying in full confidence, knowing that he is asking God for what God is trying to fulfill in this moment an expression of God's heart and the restoration of God's people. Jesus is praying with wisdom and understanding of what God desires for the world and for our lives. Jesus lives out the power of what he told Martha in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. 
he who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is such a powerful story with so many powerful lessons of faith for our busyness. What we originally perceived to be the failing of Jesus' busyness is really the busyness and priorities of the disciples, of Martha and Mary, and maybe even Lazarus. Yes, even Lazarus' death is a metaphor for our rush to get to the things we inevitably think we need to get to without due pause to see if what, that's what God has in mind. In his resurrection, Lazarus is instructed to remove his grave clothes, a metaphor of a new opportunity to take on a new path. There's that famous line from the Shawshank Redemption in which the character Red says, we either get busy living or we get busy dying. This is the invitation of Jesus. It's an invitation into a different pattern of life. So I want us to all stop and consider our lives and how we use the time given to us. As my grandmother used to say, we invest our time in what we value most. Or as Jesus put it in the Gospels, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So stop and consider how your busyness affects your life. Have you ever considered that busyness fails to give us perspective? Has our pursuit of more led us to create a way of life that's unsustainable and unlife-giving to us? What if Jesus wants to free us from the shackles of such things? As one author put it, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Don't get me wrong. We, we know these things. I know these things. It's just we're so busy with stuff for tomorrow, a year from now, 10 years from now down the road, that we don't see it in the moment. How much of our life are we going to waste doing things that really don't matter? How, how much of our time and our money and our priorities do we give to things that seem so important, but if we're really honest, they really don't mean a thing? Busyness simply just leads us to more complaining, belly aching, acting like the victim, and competing with others. Busyness, busyness leads us to fighting with others and ourselves and even God about the things that we really think matter. So much energy is given to it and it turns into to negativity and to criticism. So through the eyes of faith, can we come to see that our busyness not only affects us physically and mentally, and relationally, but it also alters our way of life. I invite each of us for the next week to maybe just take stock of our daily routine, of our work and our schedule and our pace and our task. Pay attention to how you fill your hours and minutes and seconds. If a week sounds way too difficult, just take a day. And I promise each of us will come away with a fuller perspective of how Maybe we could use our waking hours differently. Maybe we're not so consumed with self and tasks that we maybe begin to see who God sees us as. So may we be done with busyness, stopping the madness, and be more intentional about how we can invest our time, our energy, and our priorities. May we follow Jesus in faith to take better care of the people entrusted to us, to live more present and fully, allowing God to move and work through our relationships to make the world a better place, starting with ourselves and with the people we love.